WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. Well, good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD, your South Shores radio station. And uh, thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. A little little bit gloomy where I am right now. Uh, it's uh, uh, similar to Marshfield, a little, a little cloudy and overcast uh, in the low 70s. So uh, hopefully hopefully you're able to get out and enjoy some of the uh, the what the outdoor has to bring you. And this week... Uh, I had the opportunity to drive the new uh, EV6. It's a new electric vehicle from Kia. Uh, it happens to be the GT version, so a performance vehicle. Interestingly, it doesn't come with a home charging cable. And I don't have level 2 charging at my home because it wouldn't be practical for me to do that. And normally, when I road test an electric vehicle, I plug it into a 110-volt wall outlet, and if it's a uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle the batteries are smaller usually it fully charges up overnight uh, even if I did drive it the 30 40 50 miles that it could run pure electric as a plug-in hybrid or even if it was something like a Chevrolet Bolt or other Mustang Mach-E uh, even though they have pretty good sized batteries I generally never run them for the for the full extent of the range so charging up on 110 volts seems to work for me uh but uh, kia and i guess hyundai as well don't tend to come with a home charging cable they recommend level two charging only and where i live right now the nearest level two charging is at the local park and ride it's about 30 minutes from my house uh also at a local school similar distance away or if i want quick charging i have to go over to the mall which is not that far in miles probably 20 miles maybe not even 15 miles or so but it could this is cape cod it could take 30 minutes it could take an hour and 30 minutes to get there so um, not the most practical way but we are starting to see some improvements and i always wonder about how easy is it to take a cross-country road trip with an electric vehicle well daphne Dixon is with us, and she just, I believe, just recently completed about a 5,000-mile road trip in an electric vehicle. Daphne, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, first off, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, I noticed that uh, I went on LinkedIn, and you have a lot of things going on in your life. Uh, well, I I, uh, I do. I'm, I'm executive director of a national nonprofit called Live Green Network, and we support the 17 Global Sustainable Development Goals in, in different programs. But I'm also director of a local organization called Connecticut Southwestern Area Clean Cities Coalition, and our coalition is a one of 75 coalitions that's designated by the Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office. And through the Clean Cities work, we do a lot of outreach events and education around alternative fuels and alternative fuel vehicles. So uh, similar, and you're doing it much more professionally, but similar to every time I drive an electric vehicle, I seem (laughs) to be doing electric vehicle education. That's right. 
Um, and um, to your point, um, I, I actually still have the vehicle that we drove, the, um, the Chevy Bolt EUV, and it was actually, last year we drove about 5,000 miles. This year it was actually close to 6,000 miles. And I have the vehicle for about another week to do a few more educational events. And I have been plugging in um, in my garage with what's, you know, a level one type of thing, the 110, just the regular, um, like a toaster type of outlet. Yep. Because it does come with that, and I have had extremely good luck with this vehicle. This uh, the Chevy Bolt EUV is rated at two fifty or two fifty nine in mileage um, range, and when I've been plugging it in just at the you know in my garage, I've gotten up to three hundred and eleven miles per range for the range. It's charging up to three hundred and eleven. Last year when we had the Mustang Mach E, it was rated at it was rated at three hundred, and by the end of that trip, I could maybe get it to two seventy eight. But the battery in the vehicle I'm driving has been remarkable. Yeah, it it really is, and I I sort of remember that with the with the Chevrolet Bolt. Uh, over the past couple of months, I did have the opportunity to drive kind of a uh, luxury uh, vehicle, the BMW fully electric mm-hmm. SUV, and it also when it was charging at home on 110 mm-hmm. volts it actually did the same thing it exceeded the range numbers mm-hmm. uh by probably i think 30 or 40 miles so it claimed something like in the in the 280s or something i think i when i charged it at home and maybe it had to do with the slow charging rate it uh it was up in the 330 range so it, it was it was pretty impressive and uh different than charging at level three the the faster where you know typically you're 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 charging only to about 80 or 90 percent so you don't get the full full battery it's a little kinder on the battery that way yeah well we work a lot with the national labs and um, i'm actually going to to speak with them about you know what work have they done or what studies have they done or what research have they done about the differences between charging you know level two level three versus this level one because i i think people are underestimating that level one i mean a lot of times you just you need to charge you need to go you need to drive 300 miles because you're to be at an event or something, so you you know you need to get that charge fast. But I think people are underestimating the level one charging because I think I, it is kinder to the battery. I just want some research to back it up. So we're going to be finding out more from um, the national labs about that. Yeah, it 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 really is, and I think for a lot of people, you know, you know, even if even if the car only has a two hundred mile range, most people aren't driving two hundred miles over over any given day. Their you know typical commute is somewhere in the thirty mile range, right. I guess. So there, you know, so it's easy to to sort of recharge uh, at home with with without spending any additional money. Although I believe Chevrolet uh, with their EVs will help install a home level two charger. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think part of this level two, level three, I, I, you know, people have chargers to sell. <laughs> so I think, I don't know what's the motivation. I think it, some of it might just be that uh, charging companies are, are marketing their, their charging equipment. So it's like anything. It's sort of like, uh, I think it is good to have a level two charger in your garage if you have, you know, if you have an EV, but not that you necessarily have to use it. You know, and, and full disclosure, I don't own an electric vehicle. I, I own a Honda CRV. It's a 2008. It's very old. It has about 110,000 miles on it. You know, and I'm still learning about which EV would be right for me because it's, um, there's a lot, a lot of changes every year. And, you know, and, 
part of the reason we do the road trip, this is our second year, is because I'm learning and I want to know as much about these EVs as possible. And I, you know, I'm really still open to, you know, what is the best choice for me. And um, there are still some challenges with, if you, you know, if you only can ha- own one car, there are still some challenges with only having an EV if you do a lot of driving. Yeah, I I was sort of uh, I I commented once that I think the near future will be the hybrid garage where you might have a an EV mm-hmm. that might do most of your work for you and uh, the gasoline or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle for your long trips where you you know maybe long family vacations and other things and um, I uh, I I think I was called an elitist a few times when I said that, but but I think that might be for a lot of people an electric vehicle might work out perfectly for most of their driving and something else. And and most people today ha- seem to have two cars at least in their family, uh, so it wouldn't be all that unusual. And that might be the uh, the best thing to go. Tell us about your road trip. Where did you go? Absolutely. Um, well, we started in um, Sacramento, and we made it all the way to Rhode Island, so it was amazing. Um, and I think what we learned the most, what really struck me, is that everybody has an opinion on EVs. You know, everybody, whether it's good or bad, everybody's got an opinion. Nobody's neutral about it. They might say something like, well, I'm not ready for one, but I mean, but it's not like they don't care. Like, they're just, like, really not ready. So we found a lot of reasons why people you know, don't want an EV. It it ranges from they're they're too expensive. The grid's not ready. You know, if the if the uh, electricity mix in your state is all coal, you know, why bother? The batteries are bad for the environment. I mean, people have a lot of reasons why they don't want one. Um, one woman told us that she would buy a horse before she would buy an EV because she doesn't want to be told what to do. She doesn't want to be forced into something. So there's a, there is an awful lot of opinions about it. Um, and, and what makes me curious about some of the opinions is, you know, where did they get their information? Because in some of the cases when we talk to people about their objections to EVs, they're not really current or up-to-date reasons anymore. So people get their information maybe from a friend or maybe from a blog or this or that, but it's not that everybody is necessarily researching. They might have an opinion about their EVs or why they don't want one, but it's not necessarily based on research that they've done. So I think there's just a lot of misinformation and a lot of people have just opinions that aren't necessarily based on research. And that's a little bit um, unsettling because then people pass this information on from friend to friend. And in, in a lot of ways, EVs can get sort of a bad rap. But on the other hand, you know, the people that have EVs, and, and even in my experience driving these EVs the last two years, they're absolutely amazing to drive. Um, they do seem to cost less. You know, the fueling up, there's still actually a lot of places you can fuel up where there's free charging. Um, if people haven't really driven one for an extended period of time, going back to a regular con, um, internal combustion engine vehicle is very difficult because these cars, uh, they drive so well. They're so much nicer to drive. They're quiet. They're responsive. They're just, they're, they're very comfortable. It's just, it's, it's really hard to go back after you've driven one for a while. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think, you know, and as you were talking about, you know, where people get their information. So if it's on the Internet, it has to be true, right? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and really it does come down to, uh, you know, somebody said to me, you know, you know, as we were doing some education about electric vehicles, and I said, you know, the people that are most concerned about running out of electricity 
are people who don't own an electric vehicle. Um, That's right. At AAA, we provide we will provide um, a charge to an electric vehicle where it's safe to do so. We have these mm-hmm. big generators that will haul around in the back of a back of a vehicle, and and hopefully we're able to at some point. Uh, if we ever get our order of uh, Ford Lightning pickup trucks in, we'll be able to do it with an electric vehicle and be able to charge uh, another electric vehicle right off of the uh, the battery in the Ford Lightning. But until that comes, we provide some electric vehicle charging. And we have maybe done one, and that was because the person who owned the car actually didn't know how to charge up their own car. Uh, apparently, they right. bought it from the dealer, and the dealer provided zero education. And when they got, they drove it until it just about ran out of electricity in their driveway, and they didn't quite know what to do. But other than that, most of our electric vehicle road services, because people get flat tires and a lot of, and just about every yeah. electric vehicle that I've seen doesn't have a spare. Right, right. Well, um, you know, John, it's just. When you're when you're you know you're talking about people who are having opinions and they haven't really driven a, an electric vehicle, we really didn't have any issues getting across the country. Um, what I will say is we are I think everybody sort of knows um, maybe they don't think about it too often, but we're living in extraordinary times, right? Where things the rate of change is 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 so fast, and the world that we live in now is going to be probably unrecognizable in 50 years. Think the way technology is moving forward. And I think in a lot of ways people are perhaps just overwhelmed with this fast pace of life. It's Everything is changing. I mean, look at what computers have, <laughs> how computers have revolutionized the world in like the last 30 years. And things like electric vehicles is sort of the same thing. So I think in a lot of ways when people have this sort of defensive attitude, and, and, and it is a defensive attitude in a lot of cases, I think it's just they're just afraid. You know, yeah. the world is changing so fast, and now, oh, my God, I've got to get an electric car. It's like, you know, I've got kids in college, or I've got this or that, or, you know, I'm taking care of parents, or, or whatever it is. People are so overwhelmed, I think, in their daily life anyway, and now you throw an electric car into it. And so I think it's just um, a sign of the times that people are just a little overwhelmed by having to learn yet another thing. You know, you have to get the apps. You have to do all of these things. And I, I think it's not necessarily that people are, are against the electric cars, I think more than anything, it's just another thing they have to learn and another thing they have to, you know, fold into an already overextended life. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. And, you know, I think, and you sort of pointed out that the electric cars now, the people that are buying them are either sort of early adopters. And nearly 30 years ago, I bought an electric car. And frankly, Mm -hmm. it was terrible. Um, right. You know, it was, uh, but it was, but I, I wanted to kind of see what made it work and how it worked, and and I bought it used from a, a guy who bought it from the original company that built it, and it was a terrible car. But I think you know, either early adopters buy electric cars, or some people are buying them because you know, it's legislation is sort of driving it in that direction with you know, and not mandating it, but they're making rebates and incentives good enough where you know i think at one point in massachusetts where i live you could buy a Mm -hmm. chevrolet bolt with if you qualified for all the Mm -hmm. incentives it was about eighteen thousand dollars that's right yeah the incentives really have kicked in in a lot of the different states and if you do look around you you can actually get a pretty good deal and then of course you don't have the maintenance and you have the reduced fuel costs and it's it actually is less way less expensive in some cases 
Yeah, it is. Well, tell us a little bit more about your trip. How did you find charging as you were going across the country? Was it available? Was it easy to use? Did it always work? Uh, it, uh, we made it. <laughs> so um, so we, we used a couple of apps. Um, we used um, Charge Hub a lot um, and PlugShare. So, you know, you, the thing about having these electric vehicles, it is a responsibility. And, you know, you, it's not, it isn't, of course, the same as just jumping in a, car, a regular car and right. just driving. So, you know, you do have to say, okay, well, if I'm going to be driving 300 miles, I need to stop. You know, you do have to chart it out a little bit. And especially if you're going to be in some states that don't have as much infrastructure, like maybe a Wyoming or places like that, um, you know, you do have to have a backup, you know, because if the one charger doesn't work, then you might have a, a problem. There always is that that level one, if you really do get stuck someplace, you always know that it might take a little longer, but you you know, ultimately have that level one backup. But, um, you know, the charging stations were were actually pretty good, and there was there was no place except for one place where we didn't actually need a charge. We were just curious about the station where, um, you know, all the, there was at least one charger that worked. So we never got to a place where all the chargers were down and we had no, no place to go. We didn't have to call AAA for, for you know, for a boost. <laughs> So we never had that problem. The one area that we found does need a lot of um, improvement are hotels. And we found that last year, and we found it even more so this year. So we took a different route this year. We went a little more southern. And um, the hotels in those more southern states um, didn't have the charging uh, capacity as much as we saw the year before, although there was a couple of exceptions. There was... um, amazing charging in Virginia Beach, <laughs> the charging station, like you pull right up to the hotel, and it was like right there, and it was awesome, and there was also um, in Jacksonville, there was a, a hotel there, Best Western Plus, where we just drove up, and um, there was charging right in the front, it was actually um, free, because they had gotten a grant to put the charging station in, it was actually a really old charger, but it was amazing, and so in a couple of these cases, um, at the hotels, where they had, you know, they had the charging, it was right up in front and it was very very convenient not scalable but it was it was really convenient but most of the hotels didn't have they didn't have charging and more importantly they didn't have um like a plan for what they were going to do it was something like oh well we're we're going that way or we're thinking about it um there was you know one other exception in um in utah where there was some charging down in a garage and it was full um, and I went up to the, the desk and I said, hey, you know, what's your, poli- what's your EV policy on, on guest charging? And she said, well, it's first come, first serve. And I said, okay. I said, well, it's filled and, and one of the cars is, you know, is, is done. And uh, I said, what, you know, what do you think? And she, she looked at me and she gave me the best answer she could have given me was, I think we need more chargers. You know, yeah. <laughs> I just thought, you know, because we're, you know, we're not there. We're there to do to do data collection and, and just talk to people. So I just thought that was an amazing answer, you know. And then I went down five minutes later, and, of course, the person had pulled out, and I and went into charge. But I loved her answer because she was the first person uh, we had talked to so far on the, on the route this year that was not defensive. She's just mm. like, you know, we need more chargers. She was amazing. Yeah, no, I I charged recently at a park and ride, and there was four charging stations, if you will, and um, 
and there was one that was open, so I pulled in and I just yeah. was kind of killing some time while I was there. But as I was looking, there was a there was a, a bolt, a rivian, and a um, a leaf. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And it was a commuter lot, so I'm sure people yeah. were there at eight in the morning. And the leaf was fully charged. And I'm like, you know, it'd be nice if somehow, <laughs> you know, it would, you could kind of pull up next to this car and where it was right. fully charged, you could unplug and drag the yeah. cable over and plug in and charge to your car because there was a space that was open next to it. But, right. you know, that just isn't something that's quite available yet. And the other thing is, and you sort of pointed out, and I noticed this, um, I was in Florida, and mm-hmm. there's two parking lots, and they and they, I think they have four charging cables each, I guess is the way, easiest way to describe it. And, you know, I went there for a uh, farmer's market, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. good, I'll... I'll the good thing is I'll have a place to park, and uh, and the other good thing is I can charge up the car at the same time. Well, because it right. was a farmer's market, it was busy, and uh, oh. all the EV spots were taken. And then I came back a week or so later for a car show. Uh, they they kind of close the downtown, and they do a, a kind of fancy little car show. And I, I kind of did the same thing. I'll drive this electric car, and I'll have a place to park. Yeah. Completely full up again. So I happen yeah. to be walking around. I talked to somebody, and and, uh, and they kind of said the same thing. Yeah, you know, as we've seen more and more interest in this, we want to add more. But it comes down to, you know, grants and money and being able to do it. So um, as you were planning this trip and i i have a a friend who has a hummer electric vehicle and he mm-hmm. his parents live out in ohio and he said normally he lives up he lives in new hampshire he said normally i think it's a a nine hour trip out to ohio and he said well taking the electric car it translated into about a 12 or 13 hour trip so he had to make some adjustments uh to be able to find charging and be able to make it all work um as you were kind of planning out your route and you've done this more than once now did you have to sort of consider those things as well well we did in both cases we i planned the like last year our route was really planned to go to attractions Okay. Like, like a family, like you know, a family vacation. What would it yep. look like to take an EV on a family vacation? So I planned this really cool trip. We went to like Hot Springs, Arkansas. We went to Zion National Park. We went to Grand Canyon. We went to some just we went to Test Valley. We went to some amazing places, and we just um, I just planned a really cool trip. Places I, that I thought anybody would want to go see, and then we planned it. And then I'm like, okay, how hard is that going to be to charge? And am I going to have to change anything? And when we did it last year, um, we didn't have to change a thing. We found mm-hmm. charging all along the way. And it was in the national parks, not all of them. Um, this year we went to Bryce, and, and they don't, their parks don't have charging. But the, a lot of the national parks um, were a part of a grant uh, a few years ago, I think that 2017, so it was a while ago, where they put in free charge, they put in charging stations. Mm-hmm. So charging actually in some national parks is actually no cost to the consumer. So when we did that trip last year, based on those attractions, we had absolutely, I didn't have to change anything. I didn't have to go out of the way. You know, I think maybe the furthest you might have to go is maybe half a mile off the highway, but sometimes you have to do that for gas, depending. I've done, I've done that mm-hmm. before for gas. If you're in the middle of certain kinds of highways it's off a little bit or you have to go around you know um this year we based our our um, stops 
on visiting with our other Clean Cities Coalition. So uh, as I said, there's these Clean Cities Coalitions around the country. And we did a lot of um, events at municipalities because we have a municipal EV readiness toolkit program um, that has 18 areas of municipal EV readiness that municipalities can look at in order to move forward with electrical vehicle adoption. So we planned our trip. Um, it wasn't as um, wasn't so much like a family vacation. Uh, it was more based on where are these Clean Cities Coalitions and what municipalities do we really want to speak with. So it was, um, it was not as uh, glamorous, really, in some ways, as going to these, you know, um, places like Grand Canyon. Uh, and some of these places were a bit more out of the way. We went to more rural areas this year. And, again, we actually didn't have to change anything. We didn't have to backtrack or, or go anyplace we didn't mm. want to go. So, we, we, you know, I don't bet we don't back into charging networks, which is would be, you know, if, yeah. if you're just trying to go across the country really fast, um, you can do it. And, and on Facebook and stuff, we would, we would get a lot of comments like, it took you three weeks to go across the country. I could do that in five days in my regular car. But the point was not to go fast. Our right. point was to um, – we actually had this municipal EV readiness toolkit program, and, and we, we did an event every single day. So we would get in get in our vehicle. We would drive. We would do an event, um, demonstration event, or we would have a meeting with a mayor or different things. So every single day we had an actual event that we did. So our goal wasn't to go as fast as possible. It was to have the greatest impact and provide them most education. If people want to find out more information about your trip and, and uh, you know, the Live Green Network and other things you're involved with, uh, how's the easiest way to do that? The easiest way is just to go to Life on the EV Highway, our Facebook page, Life on the EV Highway. And that's where you can find us. You well, can see videos. It, we did little videos every day and find out more about what, our trip. Yes. It, sound, it sounds great. And, uh, you know, kind of on the political side, sometimes what comes up is, you know, you drive an electric vehicle and you're not paying gas tax. Do you think someday that that will be an issue where where people will be kind of paying their fair share of wearing the roads out with some sort of uh, vehicle mile travels tax? Yeah, I mean, I, I do try to stay out of um, politics to a yeah, certain me too, degree. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> I, but, you know, um, but I do think at some point there there will have to be some sort of transition, and maybe it's—I'm not sure how that will be because I'm not a, a policymaker. But it would only make sense that at some point, when it's, you know, when more than half the people are owning EVs, that there would be some sort of change over to to um, to help with that. To yeah, I mean, that. I I, th- I think you know, as we look at our infrastructure across the country, and and again, I'm the most unpolitical person in the world. <laughs> but you know, when you look at part of '95 collapsed. You know, maybe right. we need to fix the roads. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and you know, and you know, in the future, and I was kind of noticing, I, maybe it was on your LinkedIn page. In the future, you have, um, I'd like to have you back. You have something to do with a flying car company. Yes, that is a very exciting project. That's Luft Car. So, um, I in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, which is in our coalition territory. We were looking for um, projects that would potentially provide green green jobs, and so I was looking for um, a, hyd- a green hydrogen project. And in doing so, I met Sant Satya of Luftcar and got to know what he, about what he's doing with with um, it's called an EV toll. It's um, basically a, a vertical uh, takeoff vehicle. It's a little bit like a 
like a drone meets helicopter type thing. Um, and the idea is that, and it's, it's runs on hydrogen. And the idea for lift car is that would, it would, um, help with last mile delivery for, you know, people like Amazon and UPS. And it's basically, um, it's an electric road vehicle that, um, clamps onto a mechanism that uh, has, I'm going to use the word wings, um, so it clamps onto that and it um, is able to fly. Um, wow. You know, up, up, to, up, up to 300, up to 300 miles and, and, and it, it uses hydrogen as its, uh, green hydrogen as its um, propellant to, to move because if that would, because the, the payload is such that it'd be too much for electric. Yeah. So um, you need to use, you need to use hydrogen for that because you need that kind of power to lift that kind of load and to get that kind of delivery. It's a very exciting project to be working on, and he's working on building a um, a prototype two seater. Um, so that's that's where we are right now. Well, that's how, that's how, that's yeah. that sounds like a topic for a different day. But uh, absolutely, Daphne, I, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the Car Doctor program this morning. Uh, it sounds like you have uh, you had you had both a fun and educational trip. And and again, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate being with you today. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. We need to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you would like to join us, 781-837-4900 is our phone number. Uh, We'll be right back after these messages. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Summer is in full swing, and that means it's time to head out to your favorite course. For an experience like none other, try Green Harbor Golf Club in Marshfield, the South Shore's only walking-only golf course. For over 50 years, Green Harbor Golf Club has provided the best public golf experience, perfectly marrying quality and affordability. And now, your Green Harbor outing doesn't have to end on the 18th green. Stop by Winslow's Kitchen Bar and Range after your round for a bite and a beer. Book your tee time today at greenharborgolfclub.com. The best day of your week awaits you at Green Harbor Golf Club in Marshfield. Hi, this is Liz Loans. Tune in to Twilight Showcase Radio, hosted by Sandy Stride and Keith James. Visit twilightshowcase.org. Twilight Showcase, tomorrow night from 7 to 9 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the Car Doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the Car Doctor. Back to the Car Doctor program. If you would like to join us, our phone number is 781-837-4900. I want to talk about the car that got me around today, and maybe Daphne Dixon will be interested in this one. Uh, like her 2008, it is a Honda CRV, and it's certainly one of the most popular subcompact SUVs, and the latest model hasn't strayed from that original formula. In fact, the CRV's been the best selling compact SUV since it was introduced in 1997, and it's the best selling Honda since 2017 so that tells you how popular it is the latest crv from honda comes in several trim levels lx ex sport hybrid 
EXL, as well as the subject of our road test, this Sport Touring Hybrid. Uh, kind of interesting is because they don't really sell the hybrid separately. They sell it as a, it's just when you get in the upper trim levels, it just becomes a hybrid. So um, uh, most of the vehicles are, I would guess most of the vehicles sold are all-wheel drive, although there is front-wheel drive available uh, as standard in all but the Sport Touring models. Um, it's, and it, like I said, it's also interesting to note the CRV is a is a hybrid. Um, in the sport models, it just happens to be powered by a hybrid drivetrain. So it, it's not like, oh, you go out and you buy a CRV hybrid. You buy it in the sport model, and it comes as a hybrid. The non-hybrid model is, of the CRV is powered by a 1.5 liter turbocharged engine that develops 190 horsepower and 179 foot-pounds of torque. The hybrid model, uh, the combined horsepower is 204 which isn't a big bump over the standard engine but the torque is what kind of makes it a little bit more responsive to drive 247 foot pounds of torque so a lot more responsive when you go to drive it on the road the hybrid feels quite responsive uh combination torque and horsepower delivers uh uh, good performance uh, that can easily handle most driving situations. Fuel economy with the hybrid is, you know, 40 miles per gallon in the city, 34 miles per gallon on the highway uh, with a combined average of 37. When I had the car, I drove it mostly around town, a little bit of highway driving uh, because I always, you know, it used to be when I drove back and forth from my house to Providence, it was about a 100-mile round trip um, where I don't do that anymore. You know, I still try to jump out on the highway and see, you know, road noise and things like that. Um, but I was averaging just about 39 miles per gallon because mostly I was doing mostly city driving. The handling is actually quite good for an SUV. The steering has a nice balanced feel. Overall, the Honda CRV is very predictable. Um, the ride can get a little bit noisy. Um, on poorly maintained roads and a bit of, you know, there is a bit of road noise on, in the otherwise quiet cabin, but overall it's, it's a quiet car. Uh, on-road safety is addressed with a full complement of advanced safety features called Honda sensing. Uh, these include automatic emergency braking with forward collision warning, as well as pedestrian detection, lane keeping assistance, rear cross traffic alert, advanced cruise control, blind spot warning, automatic high beam. So it's got all the all the latest technology in it. The cabin of the latest CRV has grown a bit, stretching the wheelbase almost two inches and adding a uh, little bit more rear seat room. I always thought the rear seat room was pretty good in the CRV, but they added a little bit more. The front seats are wide and comfortable and supportive. Um, cabin feels more like a midsize SUV. I drive kind of something between a compact and a midsize, my Hyundai Santa Fe Sport. Um, doesn't fit into either of those categories but the crv which was always considered a compact inside felt about the same and um we replaced our couch this year uh and i took the old couch out and i tried to shove it in the back of my hyundai and it wouldn't fit and i'm like well the hyundai is a bigger car than the crv the crv it actually fit so it actually useful room uh cargo capacity was actually a little bit bigger because it's a little bit taller opening so i was able to bring bring that couch over to the habitat for humanity place um there's a large center console decent side glove box wireless phone charger it's got all the new things a large infotainment screen which had apple carplay and android auto but like many infotainment screens i found it somewhat distracting to use um 
Again, the cargo space, if you want the numbers, 36 cubic feet with the uh, rear seats in use, 76 cubic feet with the second row folded. Second row's got a little bit of a hump in it. When you fold it, it's not completely flat, but it worked worked out fine. Uh, the hybrid battery is mounted under the rear cargo floor, which loses the underfloor storage that are in the non-hybrid models. Uh, and because of the battery, there's no spare tire. And that's replaced with a compressor and tire sealer kit. Uh, Honda calls it their mobility kit. It's a mobility kit unless it isn't. Unless you like, blow out a sidewall and then good luck. Uh, overall fit and finish is typical Honda top rate. The latest CRV from Honda is certainly quite good and for many drivers and small smaller size families could easily taste, take the place of a mid-size SUV. The Honda CRV is easy to recommend as one of the best compact SUVs in the category. So, um, so if you're looking to replace an older Honda CRV or you're just looking for something else that gets pretty good gas mileage, look at look at the uh, look at the Honda. Uh, the this Honda CRV in the top trim level with everything in it uh, was just about forty thousand dollars, as I recall. So there you go. That's what we know about that. Our phone number again, 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. If you would like to join us, if you have a question, uh, we can uh, try to answer those questions for you right now. A uh, couple, couple of things that came in through the email this week, and I always like to talk about the questions that come in uh, by email because they're, they're typically typically pretty interesting uh, because some of them come from our radio listeners so tell me they listen on the radio uh, others come from the various newspaper columns that I do uh, I some some people read my column in the Quincy Sun some people read it in the Providence Journal some people read it online at boston.com some people read it in New York on in uh, the, the Troy News or the Oneida newspaper or the Saratogian or on Fridays in Newsday. Uh, so I get a variety of questions from a variety of places, which always which always makes it interesting. So somebody has a, um, they have a 10-year-old Hyundai that makes a clicking sound by the front passenger tire. They said uh, if they're parked and they put the car in drive, then hit the pedal, it clicks. Also happens when they're at a stop sign and accelerate. And it's pretty classic, you know, classic worn CV joint. Uh, that would be the first place I would want to look. Uh, other possibilities include, uh, you know, maybe shifting brake calipers, brake pads, or or even a badly worn uh, uh, axle shaft spline could be the issue. Uh, one one kind of uh, interesting question, somebody, somebody wrote to me just this morning, and they said they've been listening to me on the radio for 30-odd years, and they they said, you're not a kid anymore, and neither am I. Um, I don't know. I, they didn't say how old they were, but they want to know if I still worked on my own cars. And sometimes depends what it is. You know, if it's something like, you know, if it's something I have the equipment to do. When we moved from our old house in Abington to here, I gave away jack stands and ramps, and I had two floor jacks, both of which now I'm felt like I shouldn't have given away. Uh, but we had two different floor jacks. One was a, a two-ton regular full-size garage-style jack, uh, and the other was a little Hein Warner jack, uh, which also worked quite well. It worked way better than those little small jacks you buy for 30 or $40 at 
the auto parts store or Walmart or someplace. Um, but still, uh, you know, use 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 one of those. But there's some stuff I just can't do anymore. And, you know, I don't have a garage here where I am now. And uh, in Florida, I have a carport, so at least I can kind of stay out of the weather a little bit. Um, but here I don't have a garage, and, and one driveway is quite slanted, and the other driveway is um, gravel, uh, uh, river rock or whatever they call it. And so not a place you want to spend a lot of time trying to work on a car. So um, so I'm a little bit limited. Well, the car that we keep here over the winter, which was a $1,000 Volkswagen Beetle convertible. And um, it, it typically, you know, I've had a few issues with it. It had the vacuum pump was leaking oil. Um, the uh, rear windows, power windows, uh, there's a cable mechanism both of those had broken, uh, and I was fortunate enough with those things that um, I had the local Votech school up in Hanover fix them. Uh, so I brought them all the parts, told them what was wrong, uh, and they were happy. They were happy to do it. I was happy to pay for it. Uh, they got the education and be able to do it, which was great. Uh, now I came back from. Florida, uncovered the Volkswagen, uh, cleaned it all up from where it was sitting for so long, started up, ran good, uh, went to the Father's Day car show uh, with my neighbor, and he commented as we were getting back on the highway, wow, this thing actually runs runs well for you know what you have invested in it. And just then the check engine light came on. And I'm like, hmm. I said, that's funny. The check engine light came on exactly as you said that it runs good. And it did run good, ran fine. So I drove it home, plugged my scanner into it, did a little bit of diagnostic checking, and it was a code that showed that the cooling fan was being blocked. Well, it wasn't being blocked. It just wasn't working anymore. And it wasn't, it, I shouldn't say it wasn't working, it was barely working. And I'm like, well, how hard can it be to replace a cooling fan? Other than you can't see it. And to replace the cooling fan, you need to take off the front fenders and the front bumper cover. So you need to jack up the car, take off the wheels, take off the inner fender wells, uh, the liners, the plastic liners, take off the fenders. They're plastic, so but you still have to deal with rusty nuts and bolts. Uh, the car came from New Hampshire, so it has some rust. Um, and then take off the bumper cover. So if you're lucky, it all comes off as one piece. So both fenders and the front bumper cover all come off as one unit. You kind of slide it to one side, and then you can sort of get to the cooling fan. So uh, I bought the cooling fan. I looked on online. I looked at local auto parts stores. I looked at Volkswagen. Volkswagen, the fan itself was $1,100, and the fan control module was another $350. Um, I was able to find, uh, Dorman actually makes a replacement for about $500, uh, and that was available through like advanced auto parts and places like that. Dorman, I've had fantastic luck with some stuff and some stuff not quite so good. Uh, online auto parts stores like Rock Auto. Uh, I saw cooling fans with the module for as low as $300 to as high as $500, $550. Uh, so, 
because this is such a labor-intensive job, you have to take the front of the car off, basically. Um, I didn't want to take a chance on a cheaper part that was going to fail. So I went with, there was a, their higher price model was made by Continental, which I assume was, was the same Continental that I know that makes all kinds of parts for cars. So I ordered that one. It was the more expensive one. Uh, and I ended up bringing the car to Junior's Automotive in, in Middleborough and uh, left it with him. And I uh, said, call me, call me when you get to it. And uh, he even offered, he was kind enough to even say to me, well, you know, wait till I have an uh, open lift in the back shop. And he said, you can just go there and you, you can do it. And that was very kind of him to offer that. But, uh, you know, I have to say, you know, where's this tool? Where's, you know, it just wasn't going to work. So, you know, I said, no, no, you, get, you guys take care of it. So they were good enough to do it. They had it. Um, I think I, I don't know. They had it for a week, I guess, maybe not even. And uh, they got it all taken care of. The fan runs the way it's supposed to now. It's it's a pretty interesting thing because it's a, it's a variable speed fan. There's a low and high speed. So when it runs, the air conditioner runs, the low speed runs. When it gets hot and the air conditioner is on, this fan will run a little bit faster. Um, the old fan, uh, it would come on, but it wouldn't stay on. And it was also so worn, I guess, is, and probably not even the right word, you could almost stop it with your hand, uh, which you should never be able to do with an electric fan. Uh, so all back together, all seems to be working the way it should. So thank you to uh, Junior and his crew over there for getting it all squared away. Um, and, you know, kind of the same thing when I'm in Florida. If I have to get something done and I can't do it where I am, I look for the local approved auto repair garage. And I found uh, I found what I think is a good one. There's actually two in my town. Uh, one's a little bit more convenient than the other. One I can actually walk to if I wanted to or walk back from. Uh, so a little bit more convenient. Um, and they... they they have so far not disappointed me. They've done a good job. So if you're looking for a place to go, check out, uh, go to AAA.com slash repair, and you can find a good repair shop. Uh, one of the other questions that came up recently was um, they said, my trusted mechanic just told me, uh, he, said, uh, my, he said something about... Uh, I should be changing the synthetic oil in my 2017 RAV4 Hybrid. I take excellent care of this car, take it to the dealer every 5,000 miles for service, uh, and on every 10,000 miles the dealer gives a synthetic oil change. When I started having service there, they explained to me every 10,000 miles is sufficient because it's a hybrid and so less stress on the engine. But recently, my mechanic, who's also an expert on cars, told me the dealer will tell you that you should change the oil every 10,000 miles, but you re really should do it every 5,000 or else you're damaging the motor. Both of these parties are experts, so whose advice should I follow? I'm tempted to follow the advice of my mechanic simply because what he says is more conservative. And I want to take the best possible care of the car, uh, but I want your opinion as well. And they're kind of both right. Uh, 10,000 miles are once a year. Uh, whichever comes first is what Toyota recommends. Changing the oil more often every 5,000 miles will help ensure the oil is clean and, more importantly, full. Over 10,000 miles, you know, even the best engine can use a little bit of oil. Uh, if it was my car and I planned to keep it forever, I would probably aim for the 5,000 miles. And if you're late, it isn't a big deal since you know, you know, Toyota says 10,000 miles is acceptable. You know, the other reason that uh, they're 
mechanic might say that it's a good idea to do it a little bit sooner because the hybrid engine doesn't work as hard and maybe it doesn't get as hot and maybe it doesn't boil the contaminants boils not the right word but uh, heat the contaminants out of the oil so um, maybe that's their reasoning behind it um, 10,000 miles is a long time but uh, both of our Volkswagens the one we have here and the one we have in Florida both recommend yearly 10,000 mile oil changes you know we are so used to you know every three months or every 3,000 miles uh, which there was nothing wrong with but if you talk to people who live in europe they'll tell you what are you crazy why are you changing your oil that often uh but that was something we had always done i remember when i first started working in a repair shop we had people coming in some people coming in every 1500 miles for an oil change then again oil oil changes were a lot cheaper then uh when i was at juniors the other day picking up the car or dropping it off i don't remember which um he is only using synthetic oil now because most of his customers' cars are using just using synthetic. So he uses um, a couple of different grades of synthetic. He uses uh, Pennzoil Platinum in performance cars. He uses conventional uh, uh, synthetic. He doesn't use any blends. He doesn't use conventional oil. And he just says, hey, look, it's it's uh, easier for me. It's better for you. Uh, his, you know, had to raise his price a little bit, but he thinks that, you know, overall it's a better idea. Uh, one last question before we take another break. Uh, my wife's 2019 Kia Soul had the front brakes and rotors changed. The parts were $243. The labor was $225. Is that reasonable? Kind of like to ask after it's done. That's the only problem. But uh, but if you came to my little virtual repair shop, I would charge you $125 each for a quality aftermarket uh, or factory rotor. So... They're about $125 each or so, and $110 for a good quality brake pad. The labor to replace the pads and rotors is a bit more than in one hour. So um, so overall, the, the labor rate was a bit higher than what I would charge, but the total price at the end of the day is, is pretty reasonable. That's, um, you know, so I think overall, you got a brake job for, you know, new front pads, new front rotors, you know, hopefully clean up all the caliper slides, all that sort of stuff. Maybe even change the brake fluid. You didn't mention that, but maybe change the brake fluid at the same time. For under $500, that's about what the going price is these days. If you think about, you know, the price of pads and rotors and all of that. Yes, you can buy very inexpensive brake pads and brake rotors if you want. I remember not that many years ago, I bought a set of front brake rotors that came with the brake pads for under $30. How good were they? Not very they warped pretty pretty quickly, but they were cheap and they went on quick and that's all I was looking to do to get uh, to get bad brakes off and new brakes on and do it as kind of as a, much of a budget as I could. So there you go. Why don't we take another break? My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Calls are quiet today. 781-837-4900. Give us a call. Love to talk to you. We'll be right back. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Join South Shore Conservatory for an evening under the stars. 
This Saturday, it's Waltzing Through the Weekend, a collaborative concert featuring artists from Duxbury Music Festival and Summer Music Festival, sharing the stage for the third summer in a row. Exploring the multifaceted art of the ensemble, this outdoor concert features works by Aaron Copland, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, and Claude Bowling. Six-year-old student pianist Hattie DeNuno of Cohasset kicks off the concert. It's Waltzing Through the Weekend at South Shore Conservatory's Car Amphitheater in Hingham on Saturday at 7 p.m. Tickets available at sscmusic.org. Duxbury Music Festival begins this Sunday night. Three incredible evenings of music with South Shore Conservatory kick off with an encore performance of Waltzing Through the Weekend this Sunday at 7 p.m. at SSC's Ellison Center for the Arts in Duxbury. This collaborative concert features works by Aaron Copland, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, and Claude Bowling. And be sure to pencil in a concert for all seasons on Tuesday, July 18th, and the DMF closing celebration, Rhapsody and Prosody, on Friday, July 21st. Tickets for South Shore Conservatory's Duxbury Music Festival are available at sscmusic.org. This is a message from the Hull Lifesaving Museum. During the War of 1812, in their father's absence, Rebecca and Abigail Bates were left to care for the Situate Lighthouse. Based on the story Army of Two, an award-winning production was filmed entirely on the South Shore with many local actors and musicians. A screening will be held at the Hull Lifesaving Museum on Thursday, July 13th at 7 p.m. Visit HullLifesavingMuseum.org. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Let's talk to Robert and Tingsboro. Robert, I apologize. I didn't know you were on hold for that long. That was my fault. Yeah, I was wondering what's going on. Yeah, uh, well. Anyways, um, this is more of a um, curiosity, okay? On the Maverick that has... You know, the all-wheel drive, yep. and you have a 2,000-pound tow capacity. There's a 4K tow, which I happen to have. I was curious if you can find out, you know, on Mitchell On Demand, is there a different brake rotor and caliper on one over the other? Because I can't seem to find it. I've got a spec on brakes, but I don't know if it's one versus the other. I was just curious. Yeah, a lot of times they will do that, and I, and I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I have that new of information but a lot of times they will do that it will have a little bit more brakes and it will have a little bit more um you know transmission cooling capacity stuff like that like i was in my own car and i'll use my own car for an example um the um it doesn't have the tow package but it can tow it can tow two thousand pounds uh the the turbocharged engine version has a um, four or five thousand pound tow capacity, so there is there is a difference in that, and part of it has to do with torque, for instance. So, um, so again, you you will you will see that. Uh, but when I look up brake pads on your vehicle, um, doesn't look like there's anything difference in either the two-liter turbo or the 2.5 hybrid yeah regardless if it's all-wheel drive with a 4,000 pound tow it it doesn't you know from what I can say you know when I'm just looking at it right now I don't see I don't see that at all but let me let me try one other look here I know the radiator and the fan is bigger is uh, really cooling and uh, you know lower axle ratio things of that type but the brakes I couldn't find any specs on it. Yeah, I I think I think you're going to find they're probably probably the same. But yeah. uh yeah, and it may be 
you know, you know, and it may be the the difference. Let's see. Uh, on the brake pads. Yeah, um, on the front-wheel drive hybrid, it l it looks. Uh, see, uh, you're testing my memory here now. So there's yeah. there's a whole there's a whole problem. So uh, uh, mine's but, not too good either. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's let's see here. Let's see what we got. So the uh, in the turbocharged version, it's an NZ6Z2001A, and in the other one, it's exactly the same. So, yep, no, so there's no difference in the brakes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I figured they might mention if there was, but I, I guess yep. you put the biggest ones on, and it'll serve all applications. Yeah, that that's, uh, you know, that makes the most sense, probably, yeah. and, you know, probably. over t over time, you know, I was a little disappointed to hear that the uh, the hybrid is not going to be the standard engine anymore in the Maverick. Nope. Hey, yeah, gotta make money. $1, yeah, I guess. Option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. So, um, because you know that to me is my future vehicle coming up. So. Oh really? Oh, yep. I like I like the, the uh, two liter turbo and yep. uh, on the brake rotor. I did get specs on that. It's like twelve point eight on the front rotors, eleven point nine on the rear. Yeah, it's a right. good, it's a, it's a good, it's a good beefy break for. Hey, yeah. Robert, I'm sorry to say we got to go, but thanks for calling and thanks for listening. Okay, I'll check with you next week. Thank All you. right, take care, Robert. Bye bye. Well, another hour has come and gone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and of course, if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, and that could be an ambulance, a police car, or a fire truck, a tow truck, whatever the case is, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.